Amen. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We are in our series on the book of Acts called Multiply. And I probably should announce since we've got it up on the screen, today is Family Sunday. And that's the last Sunday of every month. And Family Sunday is when the entire family worships together, meaning that we don't typically, we will not release our Bridge Kids ministry, which is our elementary age students, uh, kindergarten through fifth grade. They remain in service. Typically, we release them uh, on Sunday mornings right before the sermon to have their own age-appropriate lesson for the morning. But once a month, we think it's appropriate for the entire family to worship together. All right, so um, if you come back next Sunday, you want your kids to go to Sunday school, come back next Sunday. Um, we are in our series going through the book of Acts, and we've called it Multiply. That's our thematic emphasis for the year, and you will see this theme resonate as we study through the book of Acts. Last week, we started with chapter to 1, verse 1 through 11, and we said that the focus of that section of Scripture was mission. Jesus, right before he ascended back to heaven, told his disciples, he said, but you shall receive power from the Holy Spirit, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And so now we move on in the story. Jesus has just told his disciples and the apostles, he says, hang out in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere. Stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. And that promise was the indwelling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're not there yet. We'll see that next week when we get to Acts chapter 2. And so we see in Acts chapter 1, we see the promise of the Holy Spirit, which, which, which the purpose is to be empowered for witness or for mission. And then in Acts chapter 2, we'll see the fulfillment of the promise. And so we'll see today in, in verses 12 through 26, what do you do or what does this new community do between the promise of the Holy Spirit and the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit? And so we see this sandwiched in here. Now, I will go ahead and tell you, last week you were all surprised because I, wasn't, I didn't preach as long as I used to. Chapter 1 is kind of introductory uh, information, getting us ready for the church and how she carries out her mission to the rest of the world. And so today's sermon will be kind of like last week as far as length. But don't worry. <laughs> Let not your heart be troubled. Starting next week, we'll be back. So what we're going to see today in this, uh, between this sandwich, the, this passage that is sandwiched in between promise and fulfillment, we're going to see three hallmarks of this new community of people, what they were defined by. So look with me in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Miss Amanda has read that for us already. And so let's jump right in. The first thing we see about this new community of people, and I keep, you will hear me say throughout the rest of the sermon, 
I will refer to them as a new community. I have not yet referred to them as the church because we won't see the birth of the church until next week in Acts chapter 2 when they receive the Holy Spirit. And so now we'll see, I'll refer to this, this body of believers called, I'll just refer to them as a new community. They are new covenant community. And the first thing we see, one of the, the, the first hallmarks of this new community of Christ-centered people is the practice of unity. The practice of unity. The story picks up by telling us that the disciples return to Jerusalem from Olivet, which is a Sabbath day's journey. That is about two-thirds of a mile. Now, they return from Olivet to Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus told them, remain in Jerusalem. So really, if I wanted to take the time, I would say that the first hallmark of this church is that they are an obedient church. Remember, the Great Commission is go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to. And, and unfortunately now, you start talking about obedience and everybody labels you as a legalist saying that you don't believe in grace or that you don't practice grace. Obedience is an expression of my love for Christ. And so I want to push us as a church to be an obedient church, obedient to the commands of Christ. So this obedient church returns to Jerusalem, and the text says once they return to Jerusalem, they go to an upper room. And then verse 14 says they were all with one accord. They were all of one mind. That Greek term for one accord, it's used 12 times in the New Testament. 12 times in the New Testament. 11 of those 12 times, we see that word used here in the book of Acts. So Luke is pushing that this church is united. They, they are together. One mind when it came to the obedience to Christ, when it came to waiting on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were united in purpose, in mission, in division, in the strategy. They were all headed in the same direction. And for this new community, in Acts, unity was not just an aspirational value. It was an actual value. They lived it. They practice it. In church, just like this new community in Acts, unity must be an actual value of the British church. The, the tie that binds us all together is Jesus Christ. We, we must be about the kingdom of Christ, the, the body of Christ. We, we must be together of, of one mind with one accord and making much of Jesus Christ throughout the world. So we ought to not have all these petty, fuss, uh, petty arguments about what style of music should we worship to. I know it. Thank you. I always know I'm preaching when y'all get quiet. We, we ought to be about Christ. And we ought to be for, you know what, let's sing music that glorifies Christ. Whether I can clap on two and four or one and three or just whatever. 
We must be united in giving glory to God by making fully devoted followers Christ in a multi-ethnic context. It, it, it was important for them to be united because everybody else was against them. It's hard to win a war when you're having to fight against the enemy and your own team. How many churches do we know of that have suffered church splits because of division? And that's why in our membership covenant, every member has to agree to protect the unity of the Bridge Church. It has to be protected. And how do we do that? This is free. I won't charge you for this. You do it by, you got to deny yourself. That's the call to discipleship. You, you do it by not gossiping about others. Not slandering the name of others. Putting away selfishness. Not causing division in the church over secondary issues. Let me give you an example. Secondary issues. We'll actually see this in Acts 2 next week. Speaking in tongues. Whole denominations have been started just over that one issue. Give you another one. Another secondary issue. The role of women in ministry. We ought to be saved enough, sanctified enough to say we can agree to disagree and not split the church over secondary issues. Secondary issues are issues that uh, uh, are not tied to the gospel. There are essential elements of our faith that if you take away these essential elements, you've taken away Christianity. You, you've taken away what it means to be a believer. So, so essential things like the Trinity, the person and work of Jesus Christ. The person meaning he's the son of God, which makes him God. His work, his death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, uh, uh. Then you talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. We'll get more to that next week. These are all essential things, the gospel. These are essentials. But then there are non-essentials where we can say, oh, I disagree with you on this opinion, but we can still be brothers and sisters, and we can sit next to each other and worship, love one another, you have to protect the unity of the church. But we do this by putting the interest of the body over our own interest. Philippians chapter 2. Read it when you get a chance. That's what Paul says. Consider the interest of others. Then he says, this is how you are humble. And he gives the example of Jesus Christ. So we see, first of all, that this new community has the practice of unity. But not only do we see the practice of unity, but we see this new community, uh, in this new community, the priority of prayer. The priority of prayer, sticking with verse 14. The, verse 14 says, not only were they with one accord, but they were devoting themselves to prayer. They were devoting themselves to prayer. That word for devotion means persistent to persevere, 
to be steadfast. Here's what the word implies. It implies that for this new community, prayer was not their last resort, but their first recourse. Prayer was not their last and final option. For, for this new community, they would never say, well, I've done all I can. I guess I'll pray now. The, for, for this new community, prayer was a priority. They were persistent in prayer. And that's my prayer for you all. That's my desire for us as a church. Too many times we put prayer in a glass jar with a note that says, break in case of emergency. You say, I don't do that, Pastor. Well, that's the way we approach prayer sometimes. And, and, and this text makes it clear that they were devoted to it. They were steadfast in praying. And that's the church we have to be. We have to be a church that's devoted to prayer. We, we must be persistent in prayer. We must pray without ceasing, which means we must pray regularly. And as a church, we we must follow this early church model of being devoted to prayer. Prayer is how we express our dependence upon God. Prayer is us saying, God, I recognize my weakness and my human frailty. And I can't do anything. I realize that without you, I can do nothing. Prayer is how we ex express our faith in God. This new community of God is being sustained by prayer. And, and, and it's after prayer that we'll see the fulfillment of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's after prayer that we see a supernatural, miraculous work of God. It's, it's after prayer. It, it, I want you to get that. It's after prayer. It's after prayer that these things happen. And if you want to see God do miraculous and supernatural things in your life, it happens after. Oh, come on, help me preach this morning. If you want to see God do the supernatural in your life, it happens after. There we go. Come on, talk back to me. If you want to see souls saved, with the, which is a miracle in itself, it happens after. If you want to see the sick being healed, it happens after. If you want to see the blind receive sight, it happens after. If you want to see those with cancer even being healed, it happens after. Church, we must, be, we must always pray. And in our quest as the modern day church to be efficient with time, one of the first things that often gets nixed from the service order is prayer. I'd rather sing less songs and pray more. I'd rather to take maybe five minutes off the sermon. That's if the sermon is 60 minutes. And pray. Because things happen when the people of God pray. We want to see this city transformed. It happens after prayer. There we go. Help me do this thing. If we want to see our community transformed, 
If we want to see our public schools transform, it happens after. These, what they pray about immediately in the text is they've had a defection in the leadership circle. And so he has to be replaced. And say so They don't just look at his credentials. They say, first, let us pray about it. So we see, how about that? We see the practice of unity. We see the priority of prayer. But then finally, we see the primacy of Scripture. The primacy of Scripture. That, prim that word primacy, I had to look it up actually. Huh. Thank God for the thesaurus in the dictionary. <laughs> Means first in rank, first and foremost. Peter stands up. He addresses the group. Peter takes a lead role among these uh, in the church, among the apostles. He, he's the first among equals in regards to the apostles. And when he begins to make his speech, the aim of his speech is to say, we need to replace Judas. Just like a preacher, he uses a whole bunch of words to say one thing. We need to replace Judas. And before he puts this decision before the congregation, he gives biblical reasoning behind recent events. Look at verse 16. Peter stands up. He says, brothers and sisters, Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Notice, Peter first looks to Scripture to make sense of what's happened in the world. He doesn't go to his own logic. He doesn't go buy a copy of the Jerusalem Times. He doesn't look to anything else in the culture to make sense of what's happening in the world. He looks to Scripture first. When it comes to making a major decision in the church, he says, what does Scripture have to say about this? And that's what we should be doing as a church. When we're trying to plan and, and, and problem solve and, and, and make all these strategies and come up with these big ideas, we need to say, what does God's word say about it? Peter goes to Scripture. The reason Scripture is so important is what the text says. He says, it's been given. He says, Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. Scripture, the writing of Scripture, the giving of Scripture has been overseen and directed by the Holy Spirit. Scripture is God-breathed. That's what the word inspired means. It, it is God-breathed. It is it, it comes from the Spirit of God. And because it's God-breathed, Spirit-overseen, that means it's infallible, which means that it's absolutely trustworthy. It's, it's inerrant, meaning that it's error-free. It is the truth. Peter also helps us to understand here that when Jesus picked Judas to be a disciple, he didn't make a mistake. He, he helps us to understand that Judas betraying Jesus was still a part of God's divine plan. 
He helps us understand that everything that happens on the earth happens under the sovereign hand of God. Now, somebody is struggling with this because you're saying, man, that doesn't seem fair to Judas. He, he had no choice in the matter. Ooh, this is even too deep for me. <laughs> Let's go into the deep end of the pool. I can't swim, by the way. So if this falls flat, remember that. God allowed Judas to operate according to his natural free will. You are only free when you operate not under constraint. You are free, you are acting as a free moral agent when you are not acting under constraint. All right, uh, uh, come here, buddy. Come here, come here, come here. This is my buddy, y'all, Lincoln. There you go. Come here. All right, Lincoln. Your Bible. Now, just give. What's what's your favorite thing in all the world? The Bible. Good Sunday school answer. Wait, what's your favorite toy? Transformers. Okay. Would you give me your Transformer toy? Why? Because you like it. Okay. What if I had a gun and I took a gun and put it up to your chest? I had a real gun and I put it to your chest. And I said, if you don't give me your Transformer toy, I'm going to shoot you. I would do it, okay? You see, I'm not smiling. <laughs> They're laughing, but I'm serious. If I had a real gun and I said, Lincoln, I want the Transformer toy, would you give it to me? You would. Why? Because I'd kill you. <laughs> give Lincoln a hand. Thank you, man. Go down. Watch this. The first time, I said, Lincoln, give me your transformer toy. He said, no. Why not? Because I, I, I don't want to. It's my favorite toy. His own free will, his own nature was, I want what's mine. He was under no constraint. So he acted freely. Now, I put some constraint on him. I, I pulled out, you know. Shoot. I said, I want the transformer. Toy. He's now under constraint. He's no longer acting according to his free will. He's acting because I put my pistol on it. Judas was never under constraint. Judas acting according to his own nature, to his own wicked heart. Judas did what Judas wanted to do. And he did it because of his own greed. The love of money is the root of all evil. So he never, God never put him under constraint to act like he did. He says, this is how Judas is going to act. God knew that and God picked him. 
So then it was fair. God allowed Judas to act like Judas wanted to act. All right, that was free. I didn't even put that in the manuscript. So then Judas betrayed Jesus and then committed suicide. So now there are only 11 disciples left. Problem is, there had to be 12. Why did there have to be 12? Because Jesus told his disciples when he was on the earth, he said that the 12 of you, or the 12 apostles will sit on 12 thrones and judge the tribes of Israel. So then Judas had to be replaced. And so Peter says, now that Judas has to be replaced, we need to replace this leader. Here are the qualifications to be an apostle. Number one, they had to have been with Jesus from the time he was baptized by John until the time he ascended back to heaven. Let's think through this, for real, y'all. In order to have been an apostle, you had to have literally been with, walked with Jesus from the time he was baptized by John to the time he went back to heaven. So, that would mean that if there are any modern-day apostles, they're at least 2,000 years old. I'm in the text. It's not Brandon, it's Bible. Not only that, they had to have actually seen the risen Lord. Remember, witness in the Bible means that you are an eyewitness to something. These apostles were eyewitnesses to the fact that Jesus Christ had risen because they saw him after he had risen from the dead. So that what, that's what made them credible witnesses. So then, here's what I'm proposing to you. I guess I could have just said it this way. These apostles, these specific apostles, these, in a technical sense, there are no modern-day apostles. This is why you will never hear me address myself. You don't even hear me address myself as pastor, but I would never say I'm Apostle Brandon Reddit. Because I'm not 2,000 years old, even though i got a lot of gray. Now, that's technical sense. Now, there's a general usage of the term apostle because apostle simply means a sent one. One who's sent as a messenger on behalf of another. Now, in a very general and broad sense, now we're all apostles. Because we all have been sent here on the earth to be on mission for the kingdom of Christ. So in a very general sense, we are apostles. We are sent ones, messengers. But these apostles that Peter is referring to here in the Bible, he said, here are the necessary qualifications. So they put out the qualifications and only two men fit the requirement, a man by the name of Justice and a man by the name of Matthias. So they've got their candidates. I guess now they need to have a vote, right? No, they say, let's pray. Before they ever had a business meeting, they first had a prayer meeting. Y'all, that was good. I worked on that one. I was expecting more. <laughs> I announced tomorrow we're going to have a business meeting because I want to spend a million dollars on a new building. 
good chunk of y'all going to show up. Now I say, tomorrow, we're going to have a prayer meeting and we're just going to pray. Now I have to wonder who's going to show up. They had a prayer meeting before the business meeting. And when, actually, once they had the business meeting to say who's going to be our new leader, they stopped the business and said, y'all, it's time to pray. So they pray. They seek God's face about what God wants them to do. I think this is actually, this is, this is just personal application for you. If you want to know how to make decisions in life, I think Scripture gives us how we, shows us how we can do it. Pray and seek God's revealed will in Scripture. Those are the first steps to godly decision making. Prayer, Scripture. Now, verse 26 says they cast lots. And essentially what they probably did was put names on some stones and then let these stones fall out to see who it is that God wanted to be the next apostle or the replacement apostle. Remember, the Holy Spirit hasn't yet been poured out on the church. So they don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling and they haven't been baptized with the Holy Spirit yet. So so they are using ways and means that God did it before the giving of the Holy Spirit, which was oftentimes when they needed to make a decision, they would cast lots. We see this. Look at Proverbs 16.33. It says, the lot is cast in the lap, but watch this, but every decision is from the Lord. God is even sovereignly determined which lot comes out. So God is sovereign over the entire process. And then they choose Matthias to be the replacement. My vision is for us to be a church that is united, a church that is together. Now that, that doesn't mean uh, we'll all think the same thing on every issue, but, it also, but we at least ought to be united in our mission of making disciples and how we ought to make disciples as long as we are using a biblical means to do that. That's my prayer, is that we will be a united church. My vision is that we will be a church that is devoted to prayer. Not just in word, but in action. And a church that is committed to Scripture, God's Word. There's been a lot said about how to grow a church. And I'm convinced that the book of Acts is going to show us that the best church growth strategy is prayer and the word. I'll prove it to you. Keep coming. And so here's how I want to end this sermon. I want us to end this sermon by praying. We've heard the word. Let's pray. So this is what I want you to do. We're going to take a couple of minutes to pray. And I want you to specifically pray for our leaders here, the elders, 
I want you to pray for our staff. Pray for the lost. Pray for our city. Let's pray.